0: Hello and a heartfelt welcome to all our listeners as we embark on season four of the Family Twist podcast. I'm Kendall Austin Stulz, and my life story is a tapestry of unexpected turns from being adopted as an infant to losing my adoptive parents by the time I was 17. And then in a twist of fate, finding my birth family through the magic of DNA testing in 2017.
1: And I'm Corey Stulz, Kendall's partner on this life adventure. When we uncovered his paternal birth family's roots on the East Coast, I knew our next chapter was calling us there to mend the missing pieces of Kendall's heart with the love of newfound relatives.
0: Our podcast began as a single thread, a narrative of my own, but it is woven into a vibrant quilt of stories celebrating the complexities of DNA surprises, adoption, donor conception, NPEs, not parent expected, surrogacy, and the myriad ways families come together.
1: We've been welcomed into an incredible community with each guest sharing their own family twist. And through it all, we've found strength in each other. Thank you for letting us share our passion and these remarkable stories with you.
0: The bonds we formed with you, our listeners, and the stories you've shared have only deepened our commitment to this journey. Family Twist isn't just a podcast, it's a celebration of the unexpected ties that bind us all. Thank you for joining us on this fantastic ride. In this episode, we continue our thought-provoking
1: conversation with Wendy Kramer, the inspiring founder of the Donor Sibling Registry. In this part, we delve deeper into the emotional aspects of donor conception, exploring the profound bond between Wendy and her son, Ryan, as they navigated their donor journey together. We'll also discuss the intriguing dynamics within donor families, including the unexpected discovery of half-siblings through DNA testing, and the emotional impact of secrets in family life. Wendy's insights offer a unique lens into the world of donor conception, challenging us to rethink our perceptions of family and identity. So let's rejoin the discussion and uncover more about this fascinating topic. Now, in the short amount of time that we've spent with you, I know we can both say that you are an awesome mom. And that's okay. the way it should happen. I think that's a lot of the, the anger there. And not just with you know donor-conceived people, but you know yeah. anybody that's it's a a, a secret, a shock, you know,
2: I think our close relationship in part is because his whole donor journey we did as a team. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I'm telling him what to think about it. When he was angry, like when he was six, he was saying, I want to know who my biological father is like the sperm bank knows it. Mm -hmm. What if my donor wants to know me and I want to know him, the sperm bank won't let us know each other. And I empowered him by having him write a letter to the sperm bank. I knew it wouldn't do anything, but I wanted him to have a sense of empowerment, like you are not a victim in this. Right. So he wrote a letter. I want you to give me this information. And, you know, it was a pretty stern letter. And I had him like address the envelope and we mailed it together, all like this empowering thing. Of course, they never acknowledged it or whatever, but I didn't want him to feel like a victim in this. I wanted him to have some power in the situation. We had no idea that ultimately he would definitely have some power in the situation beyond the sperm bank thank goodness. But I always acknowledged and honored his frustration, his curiosity, anything he wanted to do. We talked it over and we did it as a team. You know, I've always felt that respect goes both ways. Like he needs to respect me, but I also need to respect him. And I think a lot of parents don't get that second part. It's all about children should respect their parents, but it goes both ways and, and it pays off tremendously.
0: Absolutely. That's a great message. Yeah. I have a question. Do you know the age range of Ryan's half-siblings?
2: Yeah. So for many years, he was the oldest. But now there's one girl who's a year older. So from 1989, I'm looking at my list. So all of us, we usually have this next to our desk, which is our list of half-siblings. Yeah. Um everybody gets their spreadsheet moment. Usually it's around 6 or 7 when you can't keep it in your mind anymore. Yep. <laughs> um and I think the youngest is 96. So from 89 to 96, so 34 to 27.
0: Very cool. Wow.
2: No, it's crazy. And here's the funny thing with Ryan. Well, last month he got two more boys. So hmm. now it's five boys and 20 four girls oh wow interesting
0: wow hmm. that's amazing huh.
2: which is not like the population no like the population right. is pretty much 50 50 yeah so hmm. this one, well up until like last month there were it was all, like there were only three boys and all the rest were girls now at least we get two more boys in so
0: <laughs> right Right. Wow.
2: It's crazy. That's it amazing. is cra- So here's the difference too. So now for the last five years or so, all of the new siblings had no idea they were donor conceived. Oh. So they're all swabbing their cheeks and just wanting to learn about ancestry. And it's like, you have a half sister. You have a half brother. You have a half sister. You have a half sister. You have a half sister. And they're all shocked and upset and family turmoil, all this unnecessary family turmoil because the parents were never honest because of their own fears and worries and insecurities. So Mm -hmm. lucky for our families, this is what I do for like, they join like the Royal family of donor (laughs) kids, right? So this is what I do. I do counseling videos all day long with people, who just found out, parents who are going to tell, you know, all the different things that donor families go through. So my son's half siblings, they're lucky because they get into a half sibling group where people they create a soft landing pad. Many of them know what it's like to just find out. Everybody's handled with care and understanding and empathy. And we just make it as easy as possible and try to present it as positive as possible. Like, yes, it's shocking. Yep. You got some anger towards your parents. You got some conversations and healing forgiveness to do. But in the meantime, you've joined this group of really awesome, you know, 20, 30 year olds. So it's a positive thing too, even when Mm -hmm. it's like, Life-altering and identity-shaking, and all the rest of it. Don't forget, it's more love in your life, you know.
1: For sure, for absolutely. Sure. And you know, uh, I can't put myself in a, a parent's position, but I can't imagine keeping a secret like that. And 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 especially today, knowing that Ancestry and Twenty Three and Me are like everybody knows what that is. That you say Ancestry, and they automatically know. Oh yeah, the DNA. Test. So it's like, okay, got to be in the back of your mind that this could be coming out, you know? So why not just be honest?
2: Fear. Fear is very powerful. So usually it's the non bio parent. And this is in LGBT families too. The non bio parent is more hesitant with any kind of donor connections. It's a fear of these people have a connection to my child that i don't have and it's people who are maybe more insecure just by nature they feel threatened by it or they're afraid for the heterosexual people with egg and sperm donors my kid won't love me as much if they know i'm not the real or biological parent so it's fear and it's powerful And a lot of times when a sperm donor is used and the parents don't tell the mom is protecting the dad in egg donor families, the dad is protecting the mom. So it's an unhealthy cluster of reasons, but they're very powerful in keeping the truth from a child. And in my personal opinion, and I don't say this to people when I'm doing counseling, I think it's really selfish, right? Because it's putting your own needs and your own fears in front of what's best for your child.
1: Absolutely. So that's
2: my personal
1: feeling. Well, you know, and and we experienced both sides of that because Kendall was adopted as an infant and he's always known he was adopted. And the love for his parents is, I mean, we we talk about them every day, you know, and they've been gone for a long time. I've never got to meet them, unfortunately, but, you know, it's, that. but they're part of our life every day. And then on the flip side, when we found his birth family, well, his his mother still has not
0: acknowledged. You so know, six years in, Ugh, you know, she's never. Yeah, I mean, at well, here's the thing too.
2: A lot of time, it has nothing to do with you, and I'm sure you know this. When donors say no or there's no response, it's something with them. They don't have the emotional bandwidth. They're not at a good place in life. They're embarrassed about where they're at in life. They have mental struggles. They have physical struggles. So, it's not you per se. It's what she's got going on.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, it te- does.
1: It doesn't make it less painful, though.
0: No, no. <laughs> it's true. It's. I I try to be adult about it, <laughs> but I have my moments. Corey will tell oh, you Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah, I mean, when no, yeah. I
0: when I struggle and you know, I have deep love for my sisters, my mother's two daughters and my half brother on that side, but it's difficult for me to relate to them at some level because of this disconnect between, you know, I don't have a relationship with our mother and, um, I joked with my sisters a long time ago and said, "If one more person tells me how wonderful she is, I'm going to throw up. Like I don't need to hear that anymore. You know what I mean? Like to me, she has a lot to prove. (laughs) You know, and um, and and I'm she probably is a, a good person, but it's just it's an awkward, unfair position.
2: Do you know why she can't? Do you know why?
1: We've never been given a full answer. You know, we think it might have something to do with the gay thing, you know, or it's so buried that like, you know, even though it got dug up a little bit, it's like she's reburied it,
0: you know? Yeah.
2: She can't it's too painful for her to acknowledge because then she'd have to go through a bunch of emotions. That's what I'm saying. Like some people don't have the emotional bandwidth. Yeah to take those steps forward because it's like, you know, you've been going through it emotionally. It takes a lot and you just have to have self-awareness to kind of make that journey. You have to have good support to take that journey. And maybe she, she's just not able, she can't do it. Yeah,
0: I I know. And I, I find myself not showing her as much grace as I should um, for, for my, definition of what that is. And um, I, you know, I've been wrestling with that. And uh, because part of me is, you know, angry, of course, that she's had six years to reach out and hasn't. But then the other side of that equation is exactly what you just said, where, you know, who am I to judge how she must feel
2: the thing is, both things can happen at the same time. It's not one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have your anger, it's appropriate. It's not like it's inappropriate anger. No, it's totally appropriate. And at the same time, you don't have to wait for the anger to be gone. At the same time, you can keep exploring the empathetic part of like given what she has, she's doing the best that she can do. And right now she can't do it. She doesn't have the ability to to take those next steps. yep, And it's okay to acknowledge both of those. And I'm really pissed off, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it's not fair and it isn't fair. Right. right? So all, it's all appropriate, but it can all happen at the same time so that maybe you can feel that there's some kind of a movement in mm-hmm. your process too. You don't mm-hmm. want to get stuck in the anger. Right. Right.
1: And, right. You know, we do believe, you know, from what we've heard from Kendall's father and others that, They both really wanted to keep the baby and they just weren't given that choice. They were so young. They were not given that opportunity. And so I'm sure that's part of it. It's like, I've got to turn this off because I can't cry every day because
0: my baby was taken away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they really were not empowered to do that, which, you know, I'm not, I don't. Uh I have differing feelings sometimes about my grandparents but I know that if my 15-year-old were pregnant I'm not saying I wouldn't have thought the same thing you know like wow okay
2: well back then right, right.
0: especially back then it was there was such a different stigma attached to her as a pregnant teen so Sad. Right.
2: Yeah. Then you'd have to acknowledge she had sex, which nobody did back then. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Like now we know, you know, yes, right. teenagers have sex. Right. Like, you know.
0: Right. Surprise.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, boy. So yeah. but you at least you have been able to make contact with her daughters then. Right.
0: Absolutely. And my mother's sister has been wonderful. She's great to Corey and me. You know, she texts us, she calls us, she sends us cards. She's just, she, you know, she's not a, Good. a replacement for my mother, but she definitely um, yeah. f- fills the b- bill for a, a nice auntie. <laughs> well, and it's funny
1: when you mentioned Ryan sending the email to Lance, it immediately reminded me of Kendall couldn't, once he, he and his, uh, his brother found out, like discovered together, you know, who his birth mother was. And, and he just, I'm like, well, let's pause. Let's pause for a minute. Yes. They're on Facebook. Yes. You could message them, but let's, let's just, let's take
0: a pause. No, uh-uh. no. He, he messaged
1: <laughs> everybody. He could immediately.
0: I <laughs> couldn't do I couldn't do it. I was 47 at the time. And I said, I have waited 47 years to find these people. What if something bad's about to happen? I have to reach out to them this instant. So I completely can relate to Ryan's sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. And he did. He laid a shocker out there because
1: his sister got the message and was confused by it because she had no idea that Kendall existed. And she showed the message to Kendall's mother and she went bone white and almost fainted. Yeah. And, It's like, okay, I guess this is true then. And
2: this is true in the donor world too. When it's a secret that the parents have carried for decades, they don't realize the burden of the secret, but they carry that secret every day. And it's a huge burden, but it's all they know is carrying Mm -hmm. the secret. And so therefore they don't know how to let it go. Yeah. What would life look like without that burden of right. that secret? Right.
1: Well, and I think one thing that's really unfair is that you're burdening whoever know, else knows the secret, even if they're not the parent. You're burdening them as well. So the only people that knew, as far as we know, were her husband and her sister. And it's like you know this this sweet woman who you know, can't
2: no, no can't
1: can't talk about it, can't say anything about it, but knows it. Knows like I've got a I've got a nephew out there somewhere, you know that I I probably will never get to meet.
0: Well, and my mother is still dealing with that because her husband's family is huge and they don't know about me. So it's bizarre. It's like I'm 53 years old. How long do you need to keep this secret?
2: (laughs) Is this this a shame based secret still?
0: I think so. She's
2: ashamed that she gave a child up for adoption.
1: Or Was you know still promiscuous. promiscuous at such a young age, you know? I'm sure yeah, it's like you know, oh, was, you quickly you know, do the math
2: years ago, uh, I right? Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, I think the shame at this point is maybe twofold that she gave a child up for adoption and that she's refusing contact.
1: Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. there's got to be some guilt there. That.
2: There's
0: got to be guilt there, I'm sure, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah,
2: are they a religious family?
0: they claim to be and they live in southern louisiana you know i i hate to stereotype because there are lots of progressive people down there i'm sure but it doesn't sound like my family is part of that progressive <laughs> movement <laughs> Well, there
2: you go. I mean, that explains yeah. a lot, too. So in that yeah. cultural realm, it's harder for us to understand because we're not in that. But if we were in that cultural realm, we might feel strongly about keeping the secret, too, because we're going to be judged by our peers, you know? Right. So right. it makes more sense.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, I, but, you know, Kendall is from Arkansas, and and he's, he's coming from the flip side of that, where his parents were... You know, very religious, but also progressive, and they were very open about everything from the get-go. And yeah. so, coming from the south, like he's experienced what it should be, yeah. as opposed to
2: what be. is yeah. what it is.
0: Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, I just right. Right. just so, so fortunate to have
2: constantly having to reconcile. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You've got yeah.
2: really good things that you're happy that they happen this way. Then you have the really frustrating thing with the woman who really needs to get in to see a therapist to work through this you know yeah. um yes well you know like i always tell people a no doesn't mean a no forever so i know it's still no and it's been six years but you never shut the door totally right. like mm-hmm. sometimes people just come around in their own time yeah. you know and True. so your door isn't slammed closed forever there's always hope there right yes. that she Absolutely. will have an epiphany. And Something will happen where she knows it's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. I remind him of that at least once a week. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I I totally get the frustration and the anger, but just knowing Kendall, if, you know, all of a sudden she called two minutes from now, he would be happy to take that call. Of
0: course. Of course.
2: Of course. I'm just, yeah. Yeah.
0: I just want to know her.
2: Yeah, but I, I think at that point you'd probably let go of the anger just like that, right? I think it'd just be like all gone because now we have what I want to have. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh boy, I get it. I really get it. I mean, I talk to a lot of donor conceived people and parents who reach out to the donors, and the donor spouse isn't on board. Like the spouse is saying, "Hey." You don't even have time for our kids. How are you going to make time for all these other kids? Or I've had one spouse say, if you connect with your donor kids, I will commit suicide. I mean, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like that strong of the spouse and the guy says, no, there's the shame of being a donor. Mm -hmm. I sold my sperm and I'm ashamed of that. And I'm embarrassed if the world knew about that. Mm -hmm. So it's very parallel here in that embarrassment and shame and what other people will think or demands that they make on you are all pushing you into keeping a secret, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And what that secret does is hurt another human being, mm-hmm. because you can't be there in the way that you should be for another human that you helped to create.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are a lot of spouses out there that don't have any idea that their husband donated Because it's like, oh, I did that back in college and I'm not going to. And, you know, again, so that, and that's not right either, you know, to keep that secret.
2: Oh. Think, well, secrecy implies shame, right? Right, so absolutely. So they're saying that there's something to be ashamed of. Well, y- yeah, you sold your sperm, but you helped, you know, like I wouldn't have my son if somebody hadn't right. sold their sperm, you know, but I think some guys are ashamed that they did that, that they actually created many human beings in the world that they have no responsibility for. And that doesn't feel right to them.
1: Yeah yeah
2: and so they're ashamed or embarrassed about it and therefore they keep it a secret right or infertility you know especially in sperm donor families the male's infertility still there's shame around it I'm mm-hmm. not fully a man if I'm infertile know, yeah. and that's another reason for better keep everything hush hush you mm-hmm. know or everybody would know I was infertile or I am infertile and that's really embarrassing
0: yeah. Yeah. Which is so strange because it's a biological thing that most people would have no control over, you know, uh, yeah, it's no, not
2: you're not embarrassed if you have diabetes, like
0: exactly, you know,
2: why would you be embarrassed if your body is in another way not functioning the way it could? you know right. Right. I don't yeah. know it's crazy. Yeah. it is it's like a mental sterility virility mm-hmm. thing, you know for
1: sure. For sure. So, Wendy, I think you would know this probably better than anybody we've ever talked to, but something that we've talked about between me and Kendall and a couple of our guests, just because we interviewed a brother and sister who knew each other as teenagers working together, but didn't know that they were half siblings. And I think that even contemplated dating and a lot of people are coming from the same region. So have you encountered donor conceived people? Many. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Many. Wow. Yeah. So the sperm banks said for a long time, well, statistically speaking, this is impossible. You, you know, a donor mm. child will never meet their half siblings. Oh my God. We hear about random meetings all the time. And we have for years, you know, mm. on a playground, at camp. One donor's daughter was the counselor to her half brother. Two half brothers were on the same little league team. One girl in college was in the same class as her half brother, but just like story after story. So it's not improbable. It's very probable. And it happens all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've got to assume that there are half siblings that are married and don't know it. Don't know that they're half siblings.
2: Yeah, we know that for sure. Yeah. Mm. And that's, you know, again, parents, it's all up to parents, like just be honest right from the beginning. So, you know, my son and I used to joke when he was a teenager, if you ever become serious with someone, like you got to check for her donor number, ask her if she's donor conceived. And let's say she's one of the 90% whose parents are lying to her. Like, I'm going to have to go to the parents and say, look, I need to know, is she donor conceived? And if so, Sperm bank donor number, you right. know. Yep. Yeah. Um, we, you know, it was like kind of funny for us, but I think it's not funny if it happens. You That's know? right.
1: Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Wow. Well, this has been fantastic.
2: Oh, I love you guys. Oh, oh
1: thank, thank you. you. And again, just I mean, you're a cool mom. Yeah. So I, I hope you know that, and I and I hope Ryan tells you that on the regular. <laughs>
2: I will remind him to do that
0: today. (laughs) I'm going to think about all the similarities that came up between your story and my story a lot because, you know, I was so fortunate to have very, very forthcoming adoptive parents who never made me feel stigmatized at all. My hometown, I have to give it credit, again, not very progressive, but very open to the fact that I was an adopted kid who talked about it a lot, like kind of like how Ryan walked up to adults. I wasn't quite at that level of talking about it, but I remember many times when I would meet my parents' friends who hadn't seen them for you know a few years, and I, it would always make us chuckle, my mom, dad, and me, when people would say, oh, this is your son. I can see, Kendall, you look so much like, and I'm like, m- me at five years old, I was like, that's cute. That's sweet. That's not real. (laughs) I don't really look like these people. I love them. They're handsome and beautiful, but I'm not their kid. You know what I mean? Like I was just very forthcoming and very like, it's okay. I got this, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah. I respected my parents so much for just being truthful. I really did. Yeah.
2: And normalizing it for you that it wasn't good or bad. It just was something that was, it was a part of your identity. This is who you are. And then when, at what age did you become curious or did you as a child become curious about your biological parents?
0: I always was. I remember my mother told me that I was like four and I would come in and say, you know, maybe we'd had one of those um, interactions with people. And I'd say things like, well, I don't really look like, the Montgomery side of the family or the Austin side of the family. I wonder who I do look like. And my mother, of course, was very nurtured, or they both were, but she would hug me and say, Oh, oh honey, that doesn't matter. But she understood what I was asking. You know, she understood that at some point that was going to become even more important to me. And it did, you know, especially because I lost them both so young. My mother died when I was 10 and my dad when I was 16. So for me, I was already ready, you know, but as soon as they both had passed, I definitely like was ready to just jump headlong into any avenue I could use to find my biological family. Of course, you know, it was a private adoption. There really wasn't much. I had many doors slammed. I wrote letters like Ryan. I just happened to be 18 when I did it, but it was disheartening and you just start to Really, I kind of got to a point of acceptance in my 20s where I was like, I'm never going to find anybody. You know, this is long before the DNA option was there. And I just thought, well, that's okay. I've always been an only child and I still am, and that's okay. And I felt fortunate to have all the cousins and aunts and uncles that I had. So, you know, you kind of just stifle that interest at some point, sadly, until, you know, all this DNA stuff. Right. Became a possibility. Yeah. I'm a journalist and I could not
1: have the story not be complete. I pushed and pushed and pushed and, yeah. you know, and, and that's, it happened. Yeah. And then and we here uh, you
2: are. So you're still in the middle of your story.
1: I think so. Yeah, oh, for sure. For yep. sure. Yeah. It's, you know.
2: Yeah. I, I know. mean, I think we're all in the middle of our stories, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes. You know, with my son, He's, at least you're not going to get half siblings every month. You know what I mean? True. So.
0: Yeah. True. Yeah. Although we do joke about my father. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, Kendall's father was. Uh... Prolific. Yes. Prolific yes. is the nice term that we're going to use. Yes. Um,
2: ah, so you could get some more half siblings. You
0: never... <laughs> he had some good swimmers. Let's just put it yeah, that way. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I met him wow. and I shook his hand and I was like, H- have a seat. We should talk about what you should have known when you were 15, you <laughs> right. know, I was like, there are ways around procreating yeah. constantly. And uh, it was just a good joke. And I think I embarrassed him slightly. He didn't know me well enough to know I was just being a big goofball about it. But, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, when you, thats funny <laughs> when you,
0: impreg- when you impregnate three different women within three years, girls, 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 I'm sorry, they girls, they three, were three, were girls.
1: three different girls within three years, then, you know, come yeah. on at some point, oh, like, my. When is the light bulb gonna <laughs> click
0: on? No, we bo- we we three boys from three different girls are nineteen months is all that separates me from the younger.
2: I oh yep. I oh yep. Cow. I know. Yeah. Wow. I know. Well, God love him. That's. Right. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. Yep. And now you know
1: why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's, so I, I have to, you
2: written a book?
1: Originally, this was going to be a book. And then, um, you know, we, we encountered a couple of situations where I was like, oh, well, maybe, maybe not – What about a podcast? Now we're back to, yes, the the book is coming. (laughs) The book is coming for sure. Because it's it's a wild story. and As you said, we're still in the middle of it. Yeah,
2: exactly. You've got the breadth and the depth, right? So
1: Mm -hmm. lots of
2: different things. Lots of relationships and oh you know. yeah,
1: we've learned so much and met so many wonderful people through this podcast. And like it's a free therapy session for us, you know, every time we interview somebody, too, is. which is which is great. But it's just, I mean, you know, it's Kendall is part of this greater community, and it's not just adoptees and donor. It's it's all, everybody. They're they're really part of that community. And if we can shine a little light and help somebody or maybe convince a parent to share that secret, finally, then our job is complete.
2: Absolutely. Well, and it's also just the more you talk about it, then these kind of things are in the zeitgeist, right? Right. It's not like weird or unusual or hard to talk about. Just your family. It's just the way your family was created, which is a little bit different than the majority of other people. You know, same with us, and same with donor families. It's just a family. Like we're all trying to figure it out. Um, What are we to each other, and do we want to see each other all the time? And you know, it's like that with any family, right? The people that you bond with, or the people that you have more in common with, or similar interests, or whatever. Just because you're genetically related doesn't mean you're going to bond so we're all like right. figuring out what is family to us right yeah. sometimes family is people who are not biologically related to and sometimes it is mm-hmm. you know especially in the lgbt community i hear dna doesn't make a family mm-hmm. well sure it does of course it does yeah. right. like don't be afraid to say that it does yeah. it's not the only way to make family right. But don't dismiss or negate that that is valid for donor-conceived people. It matters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So don't
2: be afraid of it. It's okay. It doesn't mean the non-bio mom or dad isn't the mom or dad. All these ideas can coexist at once, right? So exactly. there are many ways to make a family-
1: at- and, you know, who doesn't want a bigger family, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we moved to San Francisco and we created a chosen family out there because we didn't have any, we I actually did have a cousin out there, but otherwise we created a family out there. And, you know, so we've got both sides of it. You know, I've got my bio family. Now we're living in New England and we've got Kendall's bio family and it's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having a huge family.
2: That's the whole thing. It's not like there's only a certain amount of love that I have, and then that's going to get used up. It's like, no, if you have three family members, there's enough love. And if you have 50 or 100 family members, still enough love to go around. And, you know. Exactly. It's just, yeah, it's not a finite thing. Just, you know, expanding family is makes life interesting.
1: Right. So, Wendy, can you tell my mom that it's okay that we have five dogs because we have enough love <laughs> for all of them because she thinks we're crazy?
2: I have three, so I get it. It's just yeah. me, one person and three. You guys are two guys and five. Five. I- And two cats. I totally get it. And two cats. The only time it's hard is when I have three dogs and two hands.
0: Yep. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you
2: have to, if you're pitting them all at once, you got to keep moving so everybody gets a pet. That's the only challenging thing.
1: Well, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for what you do and for sharing your story. And if Ryan's open to it, we'd love to have him on at some point, you know, that would be great.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. He would do it.
0: Very cool. Cause he has such an interesting take being the first who found. Yeah. You know, I mean,
1: just the the way you've described him, I really want to pick his brain. <laughs> the journalist in me is always very inquisitive about, you know, um, interesting people.
2: <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll shoot him an email today. Awesome. And, cool. uh, yeah. I don't, you know, he's super busy and everything. So sure. I, I'm very picky with the things that I say, cause I know he, it's hard for him to say no to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I'm very careful with the things that I um, request from him. You know? Sure.
0: That's a good mom too. Because I do.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy. Well, it's good. You're doing something good for yourselves and, you know, for people at large to uh, learn new things and different ways of thinking about these things that might benefit them and their kids. And yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Oh. Yeah. All right. We'll take care, you guys. Thanks so thank much. You.
1: Thank you. As we conclude the second part of our series with Wendy Kramer, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to Wendy for her invaluable contributions to our understanding of the donor conception world. Our discussion has taken us through the complex emotions of donor conceived individuals and their families, highlighting the importance of openness, honesty, and respect in these unique family dynamics. Wendy's experiences and the stories shared by our community underscore the diverse ways families are created and connected. Thank you, Wendy, for your dedication to supporting these families and for sharing your wisdom. To our listeners, we hope this conversation has opened your eyes to new perspectives on family and identity. The Family Twist podcast features original music
2: by Cosmic Afterthoughts and is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.